All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. You can find it online. There's always Bibles available for you if you don't bring one to church. And we're looking forward to digging into the Scripture. We don't observe the church calendar like directly like we're married to it, but we do stay aware of it here at our church. In the church calendar, we're in the middle of what is known as the normal season in between Pentecost and Advent. The normal season where things are just normal. The color that the church has traditionally attached to this season is the color green because the normal time is a growing time. We grow in the normal. And I thought as we start school, many of you are connected to Sumner County schools and schools start tomorrow. I know a lot of you are in private schools or maybe you're in Davidson County and and we've already started some of those uh, schools have already started, but we're all kind of getting back in rhythm right now. We're getting back in a system. We're getting back in kind of the ordinary time of life. And I want you to see that it's in the ordinary, it's in the normal. That's when we really grow. We don't really grow through the big events. We don't really grow through the holiday seasons, even though that's possible. Those are times of reflection and evaluation. We grow in the normal. And I'm going to share with you some scriptures over the next few weeks that are going to allow you to dig deeper in the scripture, to love Jesus more and to love people more. I love being around good leaders because good leaders just get stuff done. I have a cousin. It's actually my deceased father's cousin, so she's quite a bit older than me. Her name is Elizabeth, and she is quite a leader. She's such a good leader that about seven or eight years ago, she recruited and convinced all of these different brand, these different cousins that were scattered all over the nation uh, together in the Houston area for a big family reunion, a reunion of some, some of us who had never quite even met before. We knew who the others were, but we had never really met before. And she had a vision for it, and it wasn't just a vision. She did the hard work to get everyone together, and once we got there to the campsite, she was just a leader. She, she told us when we're going to eat breakfast, when we're going to eat lunch, when we're going to breathe, how we were going to dress. Okay, it wasn't quite that dramatic. But this lady just led everything and did a great job because she made it happen. She got it done. And even uh, as time has progressed, when there's times where she said, you know, I'm not going to take the lead now. Um, when we're together, she can't help but to lead to some degree because that's just her gifting and that's what she's good at. You know, leaders, one of the models of leaders, leadership that I think is true is leaders create stuff. If an organization is kind of dwindling or dying out, sometimes they'll get a new leader and he or she will breathe life into the organization. Uh, leaders come in and say, hey, we're going to start a new product or we're going to put a new strategy in. And that sense of creation, that creating the new product, creating the new strategy brings life to the organization. Leaders come and they, they see things that don't exist and say they, they need to exist again. Three or four years ago, Daniel Becker, who was at our 9 a.m. service, uh, came to Hendersonville and said, you know, Hendersonville needs a young life, young life, so, uh, something, uh, an organization that's reaching teenagers who, who wouldn't normally go to church. And out of nothing, through Daniel's leadership, this ministry is thriving. And one of the ministries we support, one of the ministries 
we partner with. Here at our church, when it comes to Bible studies, 242 groups, when a leader says, hey, there's, there's not a group happening, but I'm going to start one. I'm going to create one. I'm going to cast a vision. I'm going to recruit. I'm going to nurture it. I'm going to use my leadership to make this thing happen. So that's one of the models of leadership we see. Leaders create. And how many know this? God is a leader. Well, better yet, God is the leader, right? God is the leader. God created. I mean, he created from the beginning. And he created things. And he is the ultimate creator, the original creator of creators. And I want you to see through the scripture today that part of your faith is realizing who God is. The title of my message today is Faith from a Distance. And I'm not talking about an emotional distance, like, hey, you know, we're, we're just gonna, gonna have faith in God from a distance. I'm talking about perspective. I'm hoping today that you will learn about God and his character and how it interrelates to your life. And that's gonna give you proper perspective on what's happening today, what's gonna happen tomorrow in your life the faith God wants us to have. And my first point I've already made is this. You can write it down if you're taking notes. God is a creator. God creates. Our passage today is Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse one. This is a scripture we touched on yesterday, but we're gonna, uh, excuse me, last Sunday, but we're gonna go a little deeper today. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For our ancestors won God's approval by it. So our ancestors won God's approval by faith. Verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by God's command. I want you to take note of that phrase right there. Underline it in your Bible or, or just make a note of that. The universe was created by God's command. So that what is seen has been made from things that are invisible. This is the creator God that we have. God created things by his command. He spoke things that did not exist and he spoke them into existence. So the creation story, you probably know know this. It starts in Genesis chapter one, where we find the story that God created the heavens and the earth. And I want you to understand this. The creation story is not an opposing view to a scientific theory. We've wrongly set this up as some kind of competition, scientific theory and creation. And the Bible never claimed to be a scientific book. The the, the Bible, we don't have to um, have this tension of trying to disprove a scientific theory through scripture or vice versa. Because the creation story, the important part of the creation story is this, is that God created something out of nothing. And we could have different theories of how that happened, when that occurred. Was that uh, the young earth theory 15,000 years ago? Was it billions of years ago through a process? Whatever the case is, I don't think that's as important as this. It's the fact that we know God's the one that started this thing. God's the one who created things. And the alternative to that is unbearable. I, I I cannot believe anything else. Because if I really believe that you and I exist only because of randomness, Things were so random that uh, it, it came together in, in a, a way that made sense. And it is just like the ultimate chance that we are intelligent beings. And then when we cease to exist, everything is over for us. That is an unbearable thought for me. And the reason it's an unbearable thought, because instinctively our souls, we, we, we don't find rest in that. We don't find a home there. 
There, there is a God, an intelligent God, who created us. He created, created us from the beginning, and that's who he is. And here's the point I'm trying to make. is The creation story is not a static story that happened a long time ago. The creation story is a dynamic story that is still unfolding as we speak. God is creating every single day. Even our biological processes in, in both us as human beings and in the animal kingdom and, and also in the, bi, the botany. Life itself is recreating all the time. God continues to recreate, recreate, recreate through the processes, through the systems, through the seasons. Even our body replenishes itself. God is always creating, creating over and over again. The creation story is unfolding before our eyes every moment of every day. What does this mean for you? Is God is still creating things from nothing for you. This is faith that we serve a God who is not limited by the laws of this universe because he wrote the laws himself. We, we serve a God who can create something out of nothing. That's why we are people of miracles. We are a, a people who believe the impossible because we serve a God who can do the impossible. We believe that God can take nothing and he can create something from it. That's what the scripture shows us. As we're looking at Hebrews 11, we see, and we're not going in a sequential order here. I'm going to skip down to verse 11 right now. We see the scripture says this, by faith, even Sarah herself, this was Abraham's wife. This is a recounting of a story in the book of Genesis. When she was unable to have children, look at this phrase, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. I want you to stay right there for a second. I want you to think about this phrase, power to conceive offspring. What was impossible, Sarah was almost 100 years old, if I remember correctly. Biologically, she wasn't supposed to have children. But the impossible happened. The God of the impossible moved and, and performed the miraculous for her. And it wasn't because of Sarah's faith. It wasn't because of her strength. It wasn't because of her ability. Look what the scripture says. Since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful, she was centered on God. She was centered on his power. She was centered on his ability. She was centered on what God could do. Verse 12 says, therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, because Abraham was old too, came offsprings as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable Boy, it's a hard word for me to say. Try saying that five times, so don't laugh at me. At those uncountable as the grains of the sands, sand by the seashore. So that is our God. And we're part of that promise, right? We're part of that promise. We're part of that inheritance. Because the Bible tells us it's not just their children of flesh, it's children of faith. And that's what we are today. So God is continually creating things for you. God's creating new things for you, new relationships, new opportunities, new pathways, new, new, new chances for you. I, I want you to believe this about our God, that our God can do the impossible. You might say, I don't see a pathway. I don't see a breakthrough. I don't see the opportunity. That's a perfect position for you to see God intervene. God will begin to intervene in this situation. And that's that God of the impossible that we declare, we sing about, we put our trust in. So God is not only performing miracles are creating for you. God's not only creating for you, God's creating through you. 
This is the beauty we see. And we see that again. Put verse 11 up one more time. We see in verse 11 that in this case, she received power to conceive offspring. And I want you to see this as a metaphor for your life. The things that God wants to create through you. He's going to empower you to create the things that he's put into your heart. All of you are artists. All of you are people who are creating great things. You, you have an art. You have something that's special. You have an expression of who you are. You see, when we begin, when we begin to share our heart, when we begin to create, we begin to pull things from within us, and we begin to reflect the glory of God. And God wants to empower us to do those things. So if you kind of like painting and, and you like to take canvases and colors, I have a word from the Lord for you. Thus saith the Lord God Almighty. Paint. Get busy. Do what you're supposed to do. If you enjoy gardening and that's a, that, that's a task that causes your heart to come alive, it causes you to think upon the things of the Lord, then go garden to the best of your ability. For me, one of my crafts, one of my arts is public speaking. And so I think about this, how I'm going to make God's word come alive, how I'm going to share stories that interest you, all of these things that we do. I want you to know this, that God is going to empower you to create. And just as he came upon Sarah and by his power gave her the ability to conceive, the Lord wants you to know that you're going to begin to birth new things, the things that you need to do as a leader, as an artist, as a musician, as someone who's working in a certain field he's called you to. The Lord wants you to get busy about the things of God. He's going to empower you to do his work. He's going to empower you to create. He's going to empower you to do great things for him. My mother-in-law passed through town for a few days, and she only stayed with us one night. And this lady, I'm telling you, she, she can cook and clean like I've never seen. It's just crazy the things that she can accomplish. And, and I came downstairs, and on our dining room table, I saw these, this beautiful stack of towels. It was like a work of art. I mean, these things were color-coordinated. They were perfect. I, like, wanted to take a picture and put it on Instagram for you and say, this is the, the most beautiful stack of towels I've ever seen. She took this basket of randomness, and she created this beautiful stack of towels. It was gorgeous, a work of art. It brought tears to my eyes. Now, now, now I told this story almost verbatim to the first service about my mother-in-law. And I found out between service, my wife Beth is sitting right over there said, it wasn't my mom, it was me who folded those towels. <laughs> so that may be another sermon about perspective and appreciation and... Not valuing who you have right there in front of your eyes. But the point is, the point is, is that the things we do, writing, design, the things that are in our hearts, we should be creative to reflect God and let his spirit come and empower us to do those things. So come on, guys, give your heart to the world. Would you give your heart to quit hiding your heart? Quit hiding your heart. Some of you are so scared of criticism. Can I tell you, you're never going to do something great if you're going to avoid criticism the rest of your life. If you, if you do something beautiful and helpful and good, someone's going to make fun of it because people are small-minded. Who cares? I mean, I know you care because that's what's keeping you from doing it, and I care. But come on, let's get into the shadow of God's approval 
and, and let's just fully live from our hearts. When I was a youth pastor, I, I did that for about 10 years. Back in that era, we used to uh, use a lot of hotels. We're kind of back these days to using bunk houses with all the bunk beds in one room. But in those days, we were always using hotels. And whenever a trip would come, the trickiest part of the trip, the moment of truth, the one thing by which the success of the trip was hinged upon and I had final responsibility for was the rooming list. This was a big deal. When you're putting three or four teenagers in a room, it was huge. And so we would work on those rooming lists and I had some trusted youth staff who would help me and I had a secretary who helped me and I would bring them to Beth and we would review them. Sometimes some of the parents who were youth staff members, they would try to casually, caringly act like they, they, they were looking for the whole group. They say, can I just review that list and see how it looks? I knew they were looking for their kid. I knew that this was so huge that, that everything was riding on this list and, and, the list would come out, and, and, and before the list came out, students were trying to get access to it, the whole deal. So finally, the list would come out, and the day of truth would come. And what I would often do is I would take some of my student leaders, and I wouldn't put them with their friends necessarily. I'd put them with other people who needed their influence. I, I would put them sometimes with someone I thought they would be a good match for. Maybe there was a 15-year-old girl who was new to the community and went to high school with two other 15-year-old girls, and I'd put them together, thinking that this would be strategic. And when those rooming lists would come out, some of those student leaders, they would get so ticked at me, and they would get so mad, and they wouldn't tell me they were mad, because people don't do that. They, they wouldn't come get mad at me to my face, but that first day of the trip, I mean, I got no body language from them at all. They'd just look the other way when I'd walk by. They'd whisper in the corner. And, you know, they would, they would just kind of ignore me. And they were ticked off because I didn't put them with their friends. You know, before we judge teenagers, we're that way too, guys. You know, once we find our group, we find our people. We don't really want to meet anybody new. We're just kind of stuck. It's stuck with our people and who we know because we don't have to put the energy into establishing new relationships. So we all have to watch out for that. But what would happen most of the time, and I'm not perfect at this stuff, but I'm gonna say 90% of the time, those strategic room lists would create amazing relationships in the future. And some of those, some of those rooming lists created lifelong relationships. And this was my remembrance, but during the first service, uh, young lady who was in our youth group named Ashley, she came to me afterwards out in the lobby. She said, Aaron, when you told that story, I started thinking about uh, how you put me together with my best friend now, Kat. We've been best friends ever since that one trip that we were in the same room together. So that was great to hear that affirmation. Because what happens is this, is the most important thing that we have in life is relationships. Sometimes we have to be in uncomfortable places and uncomfortable circumstances because God wants to create fresh and new and kingdom beneficial relationships. Here's my second point is God places us. God places us. And I want you to understand this is that the Lord has you at a good place right now because it's his choosing. It may not be a place you like. It may not be a place you prefer. 
may not be a place you thought you would be at. But we have to trust that God is placing us where we're supposed to be. You're not in the wrong generation. You're in the right generation. You were born for this day. You were born for this hour. And, and you're living here in this place in Tennessee for a reason. You're at this church today for a reason, whether this is your home church, whether you're visiting, whether you're passing through for one week. God has placed you in this service for this day. See, we have to understand this is God, his placement. Very much like I used to create those rooming lists, so God creates the circumstances of our life for our benefit and for, for kingdom work and for us to be the people that he wants us to be. I've, been, I've lived in a suburb all my life. I tried living in the country for nine months. It didn't work out good for me. I'm not the fix the fence kind of guy. Uh, but I've always lived in the suburbs, and I've ministered in the suburbs now for 20 years. And you guys don't realize the challenge you have as suburban people. So I want, I want you to know this. You have a blessing, and you have a challenge. Here is the blessing and the challenge is you have options. You have options. You're mobile people. You travel. You're able to move. You're able to make choices on your future. And that's a good thing. And I want that for the citizens of the world. But with every blessing, there's a challenge. Most people, our ancestors, most people didn't live, that have existed on this world, didn't live over a 10 to 20 mile radius of where they were born. And those that we read about that did travel um, were among the elite. If they weren't part of an army, uh, they were... They, were, they had access to resources that let them move around. And then even to this day, um, in the inner city, in the urban culture, many, many people, they don't have mobility. They don't have transportation. They're relying on public transportation. They're in government housing. So they can't choose to move or they can't choose to move out of their situation that they're kind of dependent on the government rate of whatever housing they're living in. In the third world, many of the citizens of this world are people who are breathing the same air that we breathe. They're living in areas that governments don't even recognize. They get dirt floors. They're in shanty towns. They're not going to move anywhere. They don't have the resources to do that. They're just hoping there's not going to be a hurricane or an earthquake or there's not going to be anything that displaces them. point I'm trying to make is this is that you have options. You can live where you want to live eventually within a three or four month period. You can do whatever you want to. You can move wherever you want to. And those options, though they're a blessing, create discontent within us. They truly do. And you know that marketers are trying to appeal to your sense of discontentment. So we get tired of our car. We get tired of our house. We get tired of, of our circumstance. And we think we have to live this life of adventure. We have to you know, we have to take our bucket list and make sure we solve every problem in our bucket list. As Christian people, we don't have to worry about the bucket list because we have eternity to enjoy creation and all God has. This discontent within us uh, causes us not to accept our placement in life. And, and I, I want to challenge you. I want to speak to that. And I want you to find your contentment in Jesus. Find your contentment in Christ contentment in who we are. It's going to save you a lot of trouble. It's going to save you from repeating the same pattern of moving 
or getting a new house or getting a new car and then you're discontent with that house or discontent with that car or discontent with that location or discontent some you know discontent with whatever it is can, can I just speak to you and tell you to let the Lord lead you to that place and unless he leads you elsewhere find contentment where you are wherever you are get busy getting happy Wherever you are, get busy putting down roots. Wherever you are, let the Lord establish you and let the driving force of your life be your relationship with him. And we need to, we need to crush the idols of comfort. We, 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 comfort has become idolatry to us. Our children have become idols to us. I, I can say, I'm so proud of my three teenage kids right now. I can brag on them and I do on social media. But I cannot let Abby, Luke, and Lincoln be my idol. I cannot let them. They cannot have a place that God doesn't have. He has to be first. And, and, and we, we have to find this place of contentment that God wants us to be. And the irony is, you're going to see from Scripture here, that the place of contentment is not a place here. It means we're looking at a place beyond us, a place in eternity. Well, let me get back to the Bible. Verse 8 says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place. This is what I'm talking about. He went out to a place. If I didn't tell you the point already, God places us. Did I give you that point? Did I figure that out? God places us. He went to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise. Let's just stay there for a second. I want you to think about that phrase. We are foreigners in the land of promise. We are. We're foreigners in the land of promise. That means, here it is, it's okay to enjoy the blessing of the Lord. It's okay to experience prosperity of the Lord. It's okay to have a... Have a a sense of achievement in life and, and that things are improving and things are getting better. But in the midst of the blessing, we cannot stay at, have this sense of this is the best there is. This life is the best there is. God is calling us to look beyond. He's calling us to look beyond what we can see today. And the problem is, is the blessing and the prosperity of the Lord will spoil if we don't have an eternal perspective. The, the scripture goes on to say in the next slide, they're living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundation, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was able to live as a stranger in the land of promise because he was looking to another city, another place, a place that he couldn't create a place that he couldn't get to on his own, a place that God was preparing, a place that God was building, a place that God wanted for him. And that's the place he wants us to look. In 1997, I was dating a girl named Beth who I ended up marrying too. So the end of the story ends up good. So you can know that. And I'm still married to her. That's really good too. So um, we, we were dating in 97 and we had had a a stupid breakup. It was my fault for a couple of weeks. And now we were back together and in love and her birthday was coming up. So some of us were planning a big birthday party for her. Well, I had a, I had a death in the family and I had to go back to Dallas um, to be at a funeral. And the funeral was on the same day as Beth's birthday. 
My family didn't really realize this because I didn't really tell them about girls I was dating. I, didn't want, I wasn't ready for them to get emotionally attached yet, so she was still a mystery woman. Um, so they didn't really know, so that didn't really work out that great. And um, if you chuckle, that'll help me a little bit here. <laughs> uh, so, so the funeral ended around noon, and I was in my suit and everything, and when, when it was appropriate for me to leave or whatever I was obliged to do, I decided I'm going to try to drive back from Dallas to Nashville to make it to Beth's birthday party. I'd already told her, hey, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it, so sorry I'm going to miss your birthday party, but I decided to secretly drive there. So I take off and I drive, and you know, food was a big deal to me back then. It's, I still like food a lot, but I, I cannot uh, idolize it as much as I used to because uh, it's not working out that great for me. But back then, I was, um, I was an athlete, and I really was into food. Um, and so I'm in Texarkana, and the last Whataburger's there. Now, that's a fast food place, and for whatever reason, Texans have this weird emotional attachment to this fast food. I don't know. So I'm like, the last Whataburger. Do I have time? I'm like... No, I don't have time. So I kept driving down the road. So then I'm in Little Rock area, and there is in Benton, Arkansas, this place called Brown's Country Restaurant. And it still exists. I verified this through my research this morning on Google. Um, back in the 90s when buffets, everyone liked buffets, I, w- I was in too. And they still have a buffet. This place had all kinds of meats and vegetables and um, desserts and stuff. Um, And I used to like stopping there, and I'm like, I'm not going to stop. Today, that would be a sin for me to stop. That would be outside of God's will, but I didn't stop at the the big buffet. Then, after 400 miles, Jackson, Tennessee, there is a uh, Baskin-Robbins. And after 400 or 500 miles of driving, everyone should get an ice cream cone, right? I mean, that's just, everyone would agree. But I didn't stop there either, because it takes a while to get there, and there's always a line, and and it took a long time. So... Between Dallas and Nashville, I made one stop. One stop was it. I parked the car, started the gas, sprinted into the gas station, used the restroom, sprinted back out. The gas was done, pumped it, got in the car and kept going. And because I believe in the laws of the land, I won't tell you how fast I was driving, but I will tell you this. It's the fastest trip I've ever heard of between Dallas and Nashville. I think I made it in nine and a half hours. All right. Yeah, I know. I'm not proud of that, but kind of. So, so, so what would make a college-age guy skip his favorite restaurants, not stop, stay so focused? What would make him do that? Yeah, yeah, definitely pure love. That was it. <laughs> pure love. And so I showed up at the party and made it there about 9.30 or 10, and she was thrilled and it was exciting, and... It was happily ever after. We never had a problem after that. We've had not one problem since that point on, right? But it was, it, was, it was a good story. All those other places I wanted to stop didn't compare to what was waiting ahead for me. Here's the last point I want to make out of the scripture today is God prepares a place. God prepares a place. Let's not forget that suburban, mobile people. You, you guys... Most of you have a good life. I'm aware that there's some financial stress here, and so I don't want to be insensitive to that. Uh, I understand that. We, we, we don't all, we're, some of us are really struggling right now, okay? And I, and I understand that. But it's likely in a 10 to 15 year span, there's going to come a time in your life where 
things are going pretty well. And compared to the rest of the world, things are going pretty well. Um, I think we all have access to food. I hope we do. If you don't, let me know. I think we all have access to uh, a roof to sleep under. Um, And and we have relationships and we have friends and and we we have good public schools and some of us are able to send our kids to private schools and some of us are planning great vacations in the next year. Some of us are moving into new homes. Some of us are, you know, just good stuff's happening. Good stuff's happening. And I say, I'm glad for you. And I, I say, I'm so glad that the gospel helps us make good decisions. And when we make good decisions, we have access to good stuff. So don't feel bad about that. But don't forget that we're passing through, guys. There's something better ahead. There's something better. There's something better than Waterburger and Baskin Robbins, huh? And there's something better ahead of us. And it's a place that God has prepared for us. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, talking about our ancestors, men and women of faith. So these all died in faith without having received the promises but they saw them from a distance. And hence comes the title of the message today. Greeted them, confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. This is something we need to confess. Guys, you are not going to stay here. You're not going to be here that long. Okay? There's another destiny. There's a life ahead with Christ. So let's not get so torn up over the temporary things that upset us. Let's, let's please, let's not do that. They're temporary residents on earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they were thinking about where they came from, they would, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. How many know God has a better place for us? It doesn't matter how good this place is or how challenging this place is. There's a better place. There's a better place. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. We thank you, Lord. This is what I'm sensing in my heart, that there is a lot of undue stress in here. A lot of you are just really torn up about earthly things. You're really torn about earthly things. And the Lord... The Lord wants you to release those today because he's telling you this. He's telling you through the scripture, there's a better place. There's a better place. And I want you to know this. I want you to know that your failure is not going to define you. Your failure is not going to define you. The Lord wants you to know that today. It's not the final outcome. God's preparing a better place for you. God's preparing a better place for you. We've all failed. Your failure is not final. Your failure is not fatal because God is preparing a better place for you. Some of you, you're just not quite in the situation you want to be in. And I don't know if it's your choosing or God's choosing, but I know this is God's working where you're at right now. God's working where you're at right now. And, and, and the Lord doesn't want you to grieve too long over where you are today. There may, be a, there may be a season of grieving, and the Bible talks about that season is an appropriate season. But the Lord doesn't want you to grieve too long because the Lord wants you to get your eyes on a better place. There's a better place before you. There's an eternal reward before you. There's a better place. This is not an escapism kind of sermon because I'm not saying forget this world because there's a better place. I'm saying when you get your eyes on the better place, this place gets better. <laughs> when you get your eyes on that which is untouchable by sin, 
that which is uncorruptible through the decay of this world. That which is ruled with justice and righteousness is a place of perfection. And that means it's perfect for you. Sometimes we look at heaven and say, well, heaven doesn't sound great to me. No, heaven is perfect for you. It's the best place for you. It's the best moment for you. It's the best opportunity for you. And I believe what the Lord wants us to do on this Sunday is he wants to make sure we're having an eternal perspective. The Lord says, look at everything that's in your life and then just kind of look beyond that. Can you look beyond to a better place? Don't, it's not that you can't see the reality today. You see your business. You see your church. You see your family. You see your friends. You see the, the social situation that you're in, uh, your marriage, all the different things that apply to you. Uh, and, and at the same time, you just see beyond. You see beyond. You see beyond to the place God has. It's a place of perfection. It's a place of strength. It's a place of growth. The Lord wants you to know, too, that some of the things close to your heart are already in the better place. And the Lord wants you to see that. Some of you, and I don't want to belittle this because I, I just don't understand this to some, to some levels, but there, there's a level of grief in some of us. And the Lord says, get your eyes on the better place, and it's going to help you cope with the grief. It's going to help you cope with the grief. And I, I want to pray. This is in my heart, especially for those who have lost children, uh, unborn children or, 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 or children who, whose life ended a little earlier than it should have. The Lord wants you to put your eyes beyond. I know that seems simplistic and you can feel the hesitation in my voice because I, I don't want to even begin to act like I understand what you're going through. That, that would be foolish of me. But, I, but through love, I just feel like the Lord wanted me to give you that message. It's just get your eyes just beyond to that better place. And, and you're still going to see everything now. You still see all the things that are happening today. But when you get your eyes to the better place, you see both and you see it in better perspective. I hope that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. I hope that's what the Lord's saying to you today. So we love you. We thank you for it. Let's just.